Amen. So go ahead and turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. This morning we're going to be continuing our series, uh, this series in through the book of Luke, and we're in a section we're calling The Friend of Sinners, which is good news for all of us in here this morning. Amen? Because we are great sinners who need a great Savior, not only a Savior who can has the, who has the power to save us, but a friend of sinners who loves to save us, who delights to save us. So if that's you here this morning, if, if you see yourself as a sinner, you see yourself unworthy, you see yourself desperate and needy, where well, you're in the right place because Jesus is enough for you. And he wants to show himself, he delights to show himself as the all-sufficient Savior. We see this in Luke chapter 7. It says this, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him to, to elders of the Jews, asking him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far off from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these words, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the bear, and the bear stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother, Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask today, Lord, that we would see your power and your compassion. That, Lord, yes, we are unworthy we're unworthy sinners, Lord, who are desperate and who are needy. But, Lord, you are an all-sufficient Savior who not only has the power to save, but, Lord, you love to save. You love to save and rescue sinners. So, Lord, I pray through these stories that we would 
behold Jesus. Lord, that's what we want more than anything, is that we would see Jesus and that we would leave here today with complete confidence, not in ourselves, but complete confidence in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes life is like a spring day that's 15 degrees and has a few inches of snow, and it feels like nothing is ever going to bloom. Sometimes that's what life feels like, where you're expecting one thing, you long for one thing, you want the spring day, but you're left with coldness, with with deadness. You're, You're left in desperation. Have you ever found yourself in that kind of helpless situation, a desperate situation, and you know that you cannot help yourself? And and have you found yourself in this situation where not only can you not help yourself, but you've lost all hope that anybody else around you can help you? You feel alone in your desperation. Maybe it's a a serious diagnosis from a, a doctor who says that your your treatment options are limited. Maybe it's a friend or family member who's hardened their heart towards God. Or maybe hardened their heart towards you. Maybe it's a difficult ministry or a difficult relationship or a difficult loss. You were excited about an opportunity, but that opportunity disappointed you. You're left feeling desperate. Or maybe it's Maybe it's just life. Maybe it's the suffocation of life that that has you feeling desperate and depressed, has you feeling anxious today, feeling overwhelmed today. Well, first I want you to hear, I want you to hear it from me. I want want you to recognize that, that you're not alone in this. Even if it feels like you are, you're not alone in this. Even in a room this big, there are many, many people in this room who have felt exactly like you have felt and and who feel exactly like you feel. Many of them right now in this moment. And second, I want you to to see that this this end of yourself feeling is not a bad feeling. It's not a bad thing. This sense of helplessness where where you know you, you have to renounce confidence in yourself and at the same time seeing limitations that these people around me in my life, they can't be my savior, they can't meet all my needs, that this is a good thing. Because ultimately this restlessness, this helplessness that we feel in our souls, that, that we ourselves can't meet, that nothing in this world can ease from our lives, ultimately it leaves us here that our only hope, that our only help has to come from the Lord. It has to come from Jesus. That's where desperation drives us. Augustine said it this way, O Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Our hearts are restless Lord, until we find that you're the one, the only one that we can rest in. We must find our rest in the enoughness of Jesus, in the refuge that's found in him, in him alone, in the all-sufficient Savior. 
But here's the problem. Many of us, a lot of times, don't trust. We don't trust Jesus. We wouldn't say we have complete confidence in Jesus. We wouldn't say that we're completely resting in him because there are two common questions that every human heart wrestles with when we lack confidence in Christ. Here are the two questions. One, does, does Jesus have the power to help me? And two, does Jesus even want to help me? That's the, the question that your heart tends to wrestle with. Does Jesus have the power to help me? Or two, does Jesus even want to help me? See, the first of these doubts the power of God, the sovereignty of our God who reigns over everything, his ability to help me. But, but the second doubts his heart. That's his love towards me, the compassion of God, that, that he would even want to help me. Has your, has your heart ever struggled that way? Has your heart ever cried out to the Lord? Either Jesus, either you don't have the, the power to help me or you just don't care at all right now. Well, this morning through these two stories in Luke, through a centurion soldier and through a widow, I want our hearts to have complete confidence in Jesus, I want our hearts to have complete confidence in the power and the compassion of Jesus that he has for people like us, for sinners like us. Where we can say today, my heart was restless, Lord. My, my heart felt helpless. It lacked hope. But this morning, I have complete confidence. I have found my rest in you. So the first thing we see, two points this morning. First one, we can have complete confidence in the power of Jesus. We can have complete confidence in the power of Jesus. Our first story surrounds this centurion soldier. He's a soldier who knew all about having authority because a centurion would have a hundred soldiers underneath him. He would be a man of power. And he would actually make quite a bit of money. In that day, a denarius was a day's wage, a day's wage. And, and this man, a centurion, would make about 7,500 denarius a year. I mean, so you're thinking today's market, I don't know, 500,000, 700,000. So this man had plenty of resources, plenty of power. Plenty of authority, plenty of money. He, he wasn't really lacking anything to people that would be looking at him. Not only that, but he has pl plenty of supporters for a Gentile among the Jewish people. See, most Gentile leaders, if you're a soldier in Rome's army, well, you're considered like enemy number one. You're an enemy against the Jews. And if you're just a Gentile, all Gentiles were seen as, as outcasts, as those who were far off from God. They're outsiders from the people of God, from God and his people. So when we read the story, it's really unique that this outsider, this outcast, this one who is far off has won over the Jews, that, that he has found favor in their eyes. Did, did you see in our story these Jewish elders, these leaders, they come out to Jesus to meet him. 
These are important men from the synagogue and and they come out to speak on this soldier's behalf because he says that he has this servant who is to the point of death. This one who's really valued by the soldier, this servant. I can see these Jews, they probably think, you know what, we have, we're elders in the synagogue, we're kind of high up people among the Jews, and so we probably have a little pull with this man named Rabbi, this man named Jesus, because we're Jewish leaders. And and the Bible says in verse 4 that they came to Jesus, and it says this, they pleaded with him earnestly. So they, this is a serious request. They're emotionally invested in this man, and they want to help him. And, but notice this, and this is very important. Notice that they want to convince Jesus that this man is worthy. Did you notice that in our passage? They want to convince Jesus that this man is worthy. Lord, do not trouble yourself. No, no, this is a different verse. Sorry. And when they came, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy. He's worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. So these Jewish leaders, they're trying to prove that this man's worthy. Jesus, he's worthy of your time and attention. He's worthy that you would give him Help. He, he loves us, the Jews, and, and he even built our synagogue. Jesus, you need to drop everything for this man. You need to drop everything. This man is worthy, and he needs your help. But as Jesus draws closer to the home, what do we notice? It becomes really clear that this man doesn't see himself that way at all. The centurion says this in verse 6. Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. You see the difference there? The, The Jewish leaders are trying really hard to prove that Jesus is worthy, but but this man sees clearly that he is unworthy for Jesus to come to his house. In light of Jesus Christ, the the glory and the power of Jesus, this man sees that I am nothing. He is humbled. He is laid down on his face before Jesus. As one commentator says, before Jesus, great people, whether Jew or Greek or Gentile, pale into insignificance. All of us, in the light and the glory of Jesus, pale into insignificance compared to Jesus. Compared to this one we were just singing about, this one that we're beholding, Jesus the Messiah. Yet mixed with this humility and this unworthiness is complete confidence in the power of Jesus. Do you see that in our text? It's not complete confidence in himself and what he can do, but no, it's complete confidence in Jesus. Look at verse 7. Therefore, I do not presume for you to come into my house. No, he says this, but he says, I don't presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. But say the word and let my servant be healed. 
be healed. The centurion has complete confidence. Listen, that Jesus can just say the word and it's done. Complete confidence that Jesus, from where he's standing, can say, be healed. And down the road at his house, his servant is going to be made well instantly. He has confidence. He knows that Jesus has the power to do that. The centurion knows this because, again, he, he knows what it means to have authority. Look at verse 8. He says, you know, when I tell a soldier to go, what does he do? He goes. And when I tell a soldier to come to me, to come here, he comes. And when I tell a soldier to do this or do that, when I tell him to go get me a caramel macchiato, macchiato at the Capernaum Cafe, he does it. Like he, he goes instantly. That's what he does. That's what it means to have authority. No questions. No delays right away immediately. This is what it means to have authority. And so the centurion, who knows what it means to have authority, believes with all his heart, with all his being, he has complete confidence. Jesus, if you will just say the word, it'll be done. If you'll just say the word, it'll be done. He has faith that Jesus alone can do what he has zero power to do for his servant. Have you come to that kind of end of yourself where, where I have faith that Jesus can do what he alone can do and I have zero power to do for myself? Did you catch Jesus' response in verse 9? Look at verse 9. It says, when, when Jesus heard these, he marveled at him. He marveled at him. There's only two passages in all the Gospels where Jesus marvels at someone. Where Jesus is moved, where Jesus is amazed by someone in the Gospels. The, the other time is in Mark 6 when Jesus it marvels at the unbelief that's in Nazareth. But here he's, he's marveling. He's moved by the centurion's faith. By the faith of a Gentile. By the faith of one who's outside of the people of God. By the, by the one who's an outcast. Who shouldn't be believing this way. It's like Jesus is marveling, saying this is exactly what faith looks like. This is what it means to rest in my power. This centurion, he gets it. Brothers and sisters, this, this right here is the secret sauce of faith. Cain sauce ain't got nothing to do with this. Listen, this is the secret sauce of faith. It, it's the complete knowledge of your unworthiness. Mixed with complete confidence in Jesus' power. It's, it's true humility mixed with confidence in Christ's ability. So Jesus, who's filled with amazement, he turns to the crowd. He, he turns to the Jewish crowd that's following him, to, to the people of God who are following him. And he says this in verse 9. 
I tell you, not even in Israel, not even among those people that are supposed to consider themselves as the people of God, the treasured possession of God, not even among them have I found such faith. It's like he's saying to them, this is real faith. This is what real faith looks like, and you should learn from him. It's like he's turning to us today, and Jesus is saying to each one of us, do you have this kind of faith? Not your spouse, not your kids beside you, not your friend that you always sit with. Do you have this kind of faith? Do you have true humility mixed with complete confidence in Jesus? Have you been stripped of confidence that you have the power, that you can do this, and yet now you have complete confidence resting all your hope in Jesus? That's what it means to have faith. Do you have the kind of faith, do you have the believing heart that says, Jesus, say the word. Jesus, if you'll just say the word, it'll be done. Do you have that kind of faith? I mean, can you imagine what this would have done for Luke's early listeners, the first people that received the gospel? You know, this would have given them 10 trillion tons of confidence to his first listeners who no longer had Jesus nearby, who could no longer walk to Jesus, could no longer go to Jesus and see him and touch him and speak to Jesus. Knowing that Jesus, even right now from heaven, can just say the word and it would be done. He could just say the word. He could just say it, and it would be done. Church, this should give us complete confidence in Jesus. This should give us complete confidence, too, knowing that Jesus, who is reigning right now in heaven, who has been given the name that is above every other name, whose power is unmatched and unquestionable and unrivaled, that even Jesus right now, He's not here right now. But all he has to do is say the word. Do we believe and rest completely in the power of Jesus? That all he has to do is say the word and he can calm the anxiety of your soul in this moment. That all he has to do right now from heaven is say the word and he can speak peace that passes all understanding into your heart. That all he has to do is say the word and you can experience bond, experience freedom from that bondage of that sin that you feel like you cannot get rid of. That right now Jesus can say the word and addiction can be done. That Jesus has the power to just say the word from his throne room of heaven and you can be healed if it's his will to heal you completely of the disease that you are struggling with. That Jesus right now can say the word and your, 
your child or your spouse or your friend or your neighbor's dead heart can just come alive. Can come alive in him. Jesus didn't shelve any of his power or any of his authority when he entered into the throne room of heaven. But right now, in this moment, he can say the word. Do you, do you believe it? That's the truth. But do you rest completely all your hope in the power of Jesus like that? Complete confidence in his power to do what he alone can do. Sometimes I, I doubt myself when I'm sharing the gospel with people. Maybe you do too. You're trying to share this good news of the gospel, but, but completely in that moment, you're worried and you're, you're fretting. You're saying, if I just say the wrong words, if I mess up this message, if I just don't say something right, this person's eternity is, is hanging on my shoulders. Sometimes we live and operate that way, but... But when we read this passage, we see that Jesus can just say the word. And he can make dead hearts alive. And so in that moment, we, when we share the gospel, we can say, Lord, if you would just say, let there be light in this moment. 2 Corinthians 4, if you would just say, let there be light, they would see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Would you take their blind eyes, their blind hearts, and would you reveal the glory and the beauty and the enoughness of Jesus? Do you have that kind of complete confidence in Jesus, that Jesus can save anyone, anytime, anywhere? Do you have complete confidence, not in yourself, because when we look at ourselves, we are unworthy, we are desperate, but do you have complete confidence in Jesus' power right now to say the word and he can move in power? Jesus is not on vacation. Jesus is still working with the same power from heaven in this moment. And we can have complete confidence in the power of Jesus. But second, we see we can have complete confidence in the compassion of Jesus. The second story is for those who have complete confidence in the power of God, complete confidence in the power of Jesus, but who lack confidence in the love of Jesus. Maybe your heart says, I, kn I know Jesus can help me. I have complete confidence that he has the power to do so. I just don't know if he wants to. I have confidence that Jesus has the power to save me or to work in my marriage or to help my child. But does he have the heart to do it? See, shortly after healing this servant, Jesus heads to the city of Nain and he enters into the city. And this is what this is the scene that meets him when he walks through the city gates. It's found in verse 12. It says that there's a, a dead man being carried out on a bear, an, an open plank. And, the, and this dead man, he is, the Bible says, the only son of his mother. And his mother, it zooms in on the mother, his mother is a widow. So if you picture this, this widow has just lost her one and only son, and her husband has passed away long ago, so she has no help whatsoever. She's now all alone in the world. 
Man, I wish I could help us grasp the gravity. I, I pray the Spirit would help us grasp the gravity of this moment. She would have felt all alone. She would have felt empty. I mean, this, there's this considerable crowd, this great crowd. It, it signifies that people are grasping the gravity, that, that these people would be following her outside of town, grieving with her, broken with her. And yet, even in the midst of a crowd, your heart can start questioning and start saying things like, does God even see me? Does God even care at all? That's the thing about grieving. You can be in the middle of a crowd. You can be in a room full of people who are singing to Jesus this morning, and even you can feel empty. You could feel alone, and your own heart could be questioning, does God, does he care? Does he even see me this morning? But here's the breathtaking grace of the story. Look at verse 13. It says, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Listen, nobody asked Jesus to do anything. You see that in the story. Nobody asked Jesus to do anything. Nobody even notices Jesus. Nobody's crying out for help. Nobody's calling for a healer. Nobody's trying to jump up and down and get his attention. No, when all hope is gone, Jesus is the one that takes the initiative. Jesus moves first. Jesus sees her. Jesus moves first. First, Jesus is moved by compassion to care for her heart. Jesus doesn't miss her in the moment. Jesus moves towards her. And this morning, brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you from God's word that Jesus sees you this morning. Jesus sees you and Jesus moves towards you. Whatever you thought about the heart of Jesus before you came in this morning, Jesus has more compassion for you than anybody else in your life. Jesus has a deeper love for you than anybody else, even in your family. I don't care how great a mama's boy you think you are. Jesus has greater compassion, greater love, and is moving towards you. It's a word of grace for those who are wondering this morning whether or not the Lord cares for you. It's this confident, creating grace for the one here who wonders if the Lord sees you at all. Maybe you feel alone in your anxiety. Maybe you feel unseen in your sickness. Maybe you feel unheard in your hurt. Listen, before you even conform the question in your heart, do you even care about me, Jesus? Jesus is already looking your way. Jesus already sees you. The word compassion here comes literally, it's from this word for your, your bowel or your guts. 
your bowel or your guts. Compassion is the love of Jesus coming from the core of who he is. From the innermost part of Jesus. If you could go to the deepest part of Jesus' reality, that's what moves him towards you, his compassion to you. Nobody twists Jesus' arm towards her dead son. Nobody makes him do something he doesn't want to do. No, it's the compassion of Jesus moving him towards her dead son. And we know in the law, if we've read the law, if Jesus dares to touch this son, he'll be ceremonially unclean. But as we've seen already through the Gospels, ceremonies and rituals and Sabbaths and traditions are no match for the compassion of Jesus. Jesus' compassion moves him to show mercy, moves him towards this dead son. It's the ever-flowing compassion from the heart of Jesus. And we see Jesus going to this open plank, this man's body's laying there, and Jesus has the audacity to tell a dead man lying there to arise, to get up. It's time for breakfast. I mean, if you, if you really picture what's going on in this scene, it's either hysterical or Jesus is crazy. If it wasn't for the power of Jesus. See, when you get the power of Jesus, the power of Jesus working with the compassion of Jesus, there's nothing that Jesus cannot do. Even in our own hearts and even our own lives, in our worst situations, when we feel like we're not cared for and we're not seen, when we have the power of Jesus... With the compassion of Jesus, there is nothing that Jesus cannot do. I mean, just look at the cross of Jesus Christ. The perfect display of the power of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus. Because at the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus displays that he has the power to overcome and overthrow sin and death forever. And at the same time at the cross, Jesus displays that he has the compassion, the want to love you and rescue you and redeem you forever. Listen, this is the good news, brothers and sisters. Jesus doesn't just have the power to save you. Jesus has the compassion to save you. It's not just good news that Jesus can save you this morning. Jesus wants to save you, wants to rescue you, wants to redeem you. That's good news for you if you think that you're a great sinner, that your sin is too great, that Jesus' power is not enough to save you. Or if you think that you're a great sinner too far from Jesus, too great a sinner that he would never want to save you, never want to rescue you. Well, Jesus has the power and the compassion, the can-do and the want-to to save you this morning. If you would just cast all your hope and all your trust in him.
You can do that this morning. If you're not a believer in Christ, you can behold Jesus through his death on the cross and his resurrection and believe. You can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And right now in this moment, Jesus can save you. See, this morning, church, the Lord wants to give you. He wants to give us not self-confidence, but Savior confidence. Not self-confidence, but Savior confidence. The Lord desires, He would love nothing more than to strip you of all your self-confidence that you came in here with. So that you can rest now completely in Jesus. See, self-confidence says, I can do it if I put my mind to it, if I give it my all. But Savior confidence says, no, he has done it. And I can rest completely in him. Do you see the difference? Self-confidence says, I can do it. I know I can do it. But Savior confidence says, he has done it. I just collapse all my hope and all my trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and power working through me even today. Fully resting in Jesus, collapsing on all my weight upon Jesus, trusting in Jesus. It's kind of like the chair that you're sitting in right now. You know, you can stand up right now and you could stand 10 feet from that chair and you probably could say the words that you believe with everything that that chair would hold you. I believe it will hold all my weight. If I just sit down on that chair 10 feet away, I, I know it would hold me up. But true faith is actually sitting in the chair. True faith is come to the point where you just put all your weight in the chair, completely collapsing and resting in the chair. That's what true faith is. It's I, I can't hold myself. I can't save myself. But I know that Jesus will hold me. I know I can rest in Jesus and collapsing your trust onto Jesus. It's the difference between trying to complete a rehab program by your own self-power, by your own willpower and effort, or it's coming to the end of yourself by completely collapsing daily onto Jesus. It's the difference between trying to raise and control your children through your best efforts and through your behavior modifications. Or it's being stripped of all self-confidence so you can truly believe that it's Jesus who will change my daughter's heart. It's Jesus who will change my son's heart and Jesus alone. It's the difference between going through your life trying your best to hold it all together. Trying to look like you got it all together. Trying to do your best. Do it yourself. Or it's coming to the realization that you just can't do it. That you'll never be enough. But Jesus will always be enough. 
It's the difference between self-confidence, which is self-defeating, or savior confidence, complete confidence that not only does Jesus have the power to help me today, Jesus wants to help me. Jesus sees me, and Jesus loves me. It's the difference between having a cold, dead, lifeless heart that feels like nothing is ever going to bloom again. Or a heart that sings hallelujah because your hope is springing eternal in the all-sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, would you, by your grace and for your glory, say the word right now to the heart that's unbelieving, Lord, who doesn't see the beauty and the glory of Jesus. Lord, would you just say the word, let there be light, that they might see the beauty and the love and the grace of a Savior who would live for them and die for them and rise again. Oh, Lord, I pray for the the mom who feels defeated here today, Lord, that you would, by your grace and for your glory, say the word that they might feel your peace. They might know that you are working and doing far more than they can see this morning. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, to the the believer here today who's struggling with anxiety and who's struggling with depression, Lord, I pray that you would say the word and that you would show them your enoughness. That you would show them, Lord, the the false sense of control that they want. And Lord, that you would give them complete confidence that you are in control. Lord, for the marriage that's in a mess, that feels like it's falling apart, Lord, that, that feels like there is a brick wall between the husband and the spouse, Lord, today I pray that you would just say the word and you would bring peace where there is not peace. That you would bring reconciliation, Lord, where there is no reconciliation. Lord, by your power, because you love them, would you come to their rescue in this moment? Lord, we could go on all day long because our hearts are needy. Our hearts are broken. Our hearts are desperate. But Lord, you know our need. And you are the all-powerful Savior who loves us. And so, Lord, for your glory, by your grace, would you work in power in this moment? Would you be enough for us that we might have complete, complete confidence, not in ourself, Lord, which is self-defeating, but Lord, complete confidence in our Savior, who is more than enough. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.